Father, I do thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you that um, you have blessed us with the ability to come together, Lord God. So I pray that we would walk away with applicable truth, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would um, just be very tangible with us right now, Lord God. And I thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, Lord. And I just pray that um, we would continue to grow, Lord. And Father, that we would um, truly value what you have given us. In Jesus' name.
was long for more I had no clue what I was missing I couldn't see the open door Beloved
Father, thank you, Lord, that you first loved us. Thank you for truth, Father, your truth that sets us free. Thank you, Father, that you've begun this work in us and you are faithful to complete it. Thank you, Father, for revealing to us no greater love than this, that a man will lay his life down for his friends. Thank you, Father, that you laid your life down for us. And on the third day, Lord Jesus, you rose again, defeating sin and death, setting the captives free we may experience life and life in abundance. We thank you for this, Father. May our time this morning be pleasing to you as we open up your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us and guide us. Give us the, the grace that is needed to, to live it out. Father, that we would not only be hearers of the word, Father, that we would be doers in your kingdom and for your glory. Through your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, but it's living through the power of God. I wanted to share this devotion before we get um, into the word this morning. And it's from the one-year Worship the King devotional. The title of this devotional is called Disappointment with God. Scripture is Exodus chapter 5, verse 23. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Israel's cursing led to Moses' accusations. The reluctant deliverer's fears were proving true. He had told God that asking Pharaoh for freedom was a fantasy, a long shot that could backfire. God still sent him. And now the consequences were dreadfully predictable. The omniscient God of burning bushes and ancient covenants must not have foreseen the crisis. Asking for freedom leads to more oppression. That's the way oppressors have always treated their victims. Moses was learning the lesson that generations since have had to learn. Often, the way to deliverance is through a deeper captivity. Sinners have to hit rock bottom before being in the frame of mind to accept salvation. Bad relationships have to go through painful crisis before healing begins. Diseases often require difficult treatments 
before the cure comes. And oppressed slaves have to pay an even heavier price while their redemption is still being worked out. That's just the way it works. Like we do, Moses judged God by the beginning of the process, not by the big picture or a vision of the final outcome. That's a dangerous thing to do when speaking with the eternal, omniscient God. We have so little information and we still complain and accuse. We're sure we're getting the raw end of the deal. The sovereign of the universe must not know that he is doing, I'm sorry, the sovereign of the universe must not know what he is doing. We feel obliged to point that out to him. Christians simply must be big picture kind of people. We need that perspective, and so does the world. Complaints at the beginning of the redemptive process aren't helpful. Our enemy, like the Pharaoh, resents our redemption with a passion, and God tolerates the oppressor's vengeance for a time. Those with their eyes on the end result won't mind that and in fact will rejoice in the glory of the process. The deeper the oppression, the greater the deliverance. Keep your focus on the celebration, and today's trials won't seem nearly as intense. God is to be trusted when his providences seem to run contrary to his promises. And that's a quote from Thomas Watson. And I'll share that this morning to encourage us. Because we're concluding today, to know him is to love him, part two. We may not understand the, the season that we're in this moment. We may not understand the seasons that our loved ones are in in this moment. But what we do comprehend and what we do understand is the faithfulness of our God. And that is where we're to focus our eyes upon. We're to focus our eyes upon Him. To know Him is to love Him, to trust Him. He is faithful, He is just, He is right, He is good, He is God. And I love this picture and, and, and this truth that we heard through this devotion. That yet though Moses was sent and Moses knew what the outcome would be in the natural sense of going to Pharaoh and telling him to let God's people go. It's only going to get harder on them. But, in the end, God moved and his people were delivered. But they had to endure. And so it is with us today. And you hear me say in Scripture confirms it to you that as we're waiting upon the Lord Jesus to return days are going to grow darker generations are going to get more out of control the oppressor is going to pour all vengeance out 
but we can rest assured that our God is for us and not against us. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. So we arise every morning behind enemy lines, pressing onward in victory because our God is alive. This is the hope of a believer. And we're looking forward to the day of his return. And we're not to get sidetracked by what we see and hear now. What are you proclaiming? Not only in your life, but the life of your loved ones, of your friends, of your co-workers. Like we have to stand upon the promises of God. Not upon what we see with our natural eyes and what is before us. Oh, that we would rejoice in the Lord. That we would give thanks that we would endure, that we would persevere, that our character would be built up in Christ, and that we will cling to the hope that we have in Him, because our hope in Him will never disappoint us. So let us rejoice in that. Let us be people who are not just a lot of talk, and there's no life backing it up. What we proclaim, we are to live, not by our power, but by His. And that's how we will impact the world around us with the good news of the gospel. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 through 23. We're going to visit a lot of different scriptures that we, vis- we have visited multiple times during our times together. But I find it to be important to bring them back in front of us. To encourage us. To know him is to love him. How's the soil of your heart? Let's take a look at this. Matthew chapter 13 verse 1 through 23. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as, his, as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories and forms of parables such as this one, Jesus' words. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil while with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon withered under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Anyone with, the, with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? And he replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. Oh, please hear what Jesus just said, underline it, highlight it, get it before you. 
Listen to what he said, verse 11 and verse 12. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. So this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Wow. Wow. What a tragic life the one who will not turn to him and be healed. Listen to what he says here. For they will look, or for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. How many people are sitting in churches in this condition? They look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And they do not turn to him to be healed. How tragic. How tragic. To be among God's people. To be among the crowd hearing the word of the Lord, freedom in Christ, and yet, and yet, never turn to him. They're still so self-absorbed. They do not love him. And how sad. Because to love him is to know him. And to know him, oh, you don't doubt him. You live for him. You have a strong belief and a confession that he is the son of God and that he rose from the dead. His resurrection has impacted your life, has turned you from darkness into his marvelous light that has set you free, no longer a slave to sin, but alive in Christ. Oh, that we would not be these people who are being revealed to us today. No, but that we will be the people that look and find. (laughs) That hear and act in obedience. And that we will turn to him and be healed. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see 
and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away that seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hears God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even a hundred times as much as has been planted. Listen to Jesus' words. Understand what he's saying. The heart of the soil is important. The soil of the heart is important. A lot of people fall in all these different categories, if you would. Is the word of God falling on good soil? Are you receiving it? Is it producing something in your life? It ought to. If not, something is wrong. Something is wrong. And the lives of those that are around us that call themselves believers, but their life is not producing anything. Something is wrong. And you ought to love them enough to encourage them into truly seeking Him and to truly applying truth to their life. That the seed that is being sown is not being stuffed out, choked out, snatched out, but that it's being rooted. Are your roots growing down deep? Only you know where you're truly at. And I pray that each of us would be the good soil that our lives are producing. Not just for ourselves, you are. The Christian life is not a selfish life. It is to give what you have received. Freely give. 
freely give, freely give, freely give. And that's why I've been encouraging us. If your life is not producing fruit in your life and other believers and other disciples, something's wrong. Because your Christian life is not about you. It's about Christ. And we should be multiplying. Multiplying. Because what you've received, what have you done with? Because that is what you're going to be held accountable to. What have you done with the riches that you've been given? Are you just squandering it? Are you just hiding it? Or are you sharing the wealth of the good news of the kingdom of God? To know Him is to love Him. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. You once were lost, but in Christ you were made right with God. Listen to this encouragement. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But we don't stop there. Look at the good news in verse 11. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So when we're living in a day and age where the gospel is being watered down, where it's being told that live however you want and you'll go to heaven, we must remember God's truth. That those... I love how it says here, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Remember, God is holy. God is just. He is true to His word. And our holiness is not based on us. (laughs) It's all based in Christ. He's begun this work in us. He is faithful to complete it. We are new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are made new. We're living in light of eternity, of His kingdom. This is who we are now. Our old desires, our old selves are nailed to His cross. The interest that we had in the world is no more, and the world's interest in us is no more. We're growing, we are maturing in our new nature, not by our might, not by our power, but by the Spirit of God within us. 
And so we cannot continue to sit idly by and let the devil teach people a perverted gospel and just go along with it and pat them on their heads and coddle them and just kind of keep going along with the, the, the majority. No, we've got to be the people who are on that narrow path. And we've got to be able to speak truth we got to be able to, to, to uphold truth. And I've always told you, first for yourself, and then for others. Because the truth in which you're speaking, they should see it in you. If not, then you're just a religious person, and you're not really speaking truth, you're just condemning. With no hope. The scripture didn't stop with no hope. It gave hope in verse 11. Some of you were once. This is how you used to identify. This is what you used to do. You were bound by the flesh. But you have been born again if you truly believe in Jesus. To know Him is to love Him. And to love Him is where freedom resides. No longer a slave to sin, but again made alive in Christ. Oh, the joy that it is to be a Christian. The joy that it is to share the good news. Not everybody who is calling themselves a Christian is a Christian. You will know them by their fruit. And you ought to love them enough to uphold truth uphold truth again the Christian life is not about perfection but it is about maturing God's grace doesn't give us the license to keep sinning no God's grace is the power to transform a sinner who once identified as such to this new creation in Christ and that is why we can rejoice and the fact that He is God. Could you imagine if you were walking through a prison, the prison door was open to the the cell, and the prisoner inside was telling about freedom, but comfortable in a cell. That will look odd. But when you look ahead and you see the prisoner pointing the way out of the door of the prison to the light of freedom, to the hope of freedom, that would spark an interest. That prisoner knows something, someone, who knows the way out. Too many a times we're listening to those that are still in bondage in, in, in their cells. How sad. Which prisoner are you? Are, are you the one pointing people out? Or are you still sitting in the cell? Because you don't belong there any longer. 
The price has been paid. You are free to go. To live. Life and abundance. To the full. To receive the blessings of God. To walk in the fullness of God. To truly experience the love of God that only can come through Christ. Oh, that we would be those who are telling others that there is a way out. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, made alive with Christ. Again, these aren't new scriptures to us. These are scriptures that we have gone back to many, many, many times. And I'm praying that you all will go back to them and be encouraged and allow them to impact your life so that your life is impacting others. Listen to what it says here. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Look at verse 2. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Listen to that. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. But our very nature, I'm sorry, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Made alive with Christ. Listen to this. God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. 
And yet, <clears throat> people want to raise their fist at him and say, how dare you, God? Or you're not God, or anything else they want to accuse him of. But God himself has made a way. It is the lie of the enemy that keeps people enslaved to defeat, to shame, to condemnation, to religious works that's exhausting them, trying to be good, trying to be good, trying to be good. And they're listening to the lies of the enemy instead of holding on to the truth of God's word. Hearing God and responding to God. Because you're either listening to the devil and responding to his lies, or you're listening to God's truth and responding to him. And the fruit of your life will show whom you are obeying. We're to have nothing to do with the enemy any longer. We were once disobedient. The enemy ruled all our lives. We were submitted to him and his authority. But God, so rich in mercy and he loved us so much for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life God's love his loving kindness draws us to repentance he doesn't stiff arm us we stiff arm him when we choose to continue to go our way. And how sad that there's so many in the church today, again, that have a knowledge of God, but they don't know God. They do not love God. And they're striving within themselves to be good. And they will never arrive to being good. They will remain defeated and end up in hell. With Jesus on their lips. But he's not in their hearts. And how sad. How sad. God, so rich and mercy. And he loved us so much. When's the last time you shared that with others? The hope that is found in Christ Jesus. Because that is the war that's being waged right now in this generation and the previous generations and the generations to come. That the enemy is out trying to deceive the masses. <laughs> that God is not a God of love, that he extends no mercy. That Jesus' crucifixion, his blood is common. It meant nothing for deliverance. Come as you are and stay as you are. Keep living for self and don't look to God. He's too far off. 
The devil is a liar. God has redeemed us to go forth to declare the good news. He has called us to go forth and in prayer and in intercession let the enemy know he must free God's people. Pray for your loved ones. Pray for your co-workers. Pray for your friends. Daily. Do not give up. Stand in prayer. When you have the opportunity, speak truth to them. Because you don't know when's the last time, or if that's the last time you'll be with them. We don't have time any longer to sit back and play church. This is a beautiful message, the message of salvation, the message of God, the creator of heaven and earth. His desire is that he would have a people who he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God that they would love Him with their whole being. To know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to live for Him. No longer a slave to sin, but made alive with Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8 there again. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Wow. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. God has planned for us to do good works that He has prepared for us to do. Oh, that we would be about our Father's business. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. This prayer that we've read before, that I've encouraged y'all to pray before through. It's a prayer for spiritual wisdom. Not only pray it for yourself, but pray it over others. This is the living Word of God. You need to be in this Word. This is your new identity. This is the seed that you want sown into the soil of your heart. Because this is what transforms us. It's the living word of God. We need spiritual wisdom. Listen to this. Paul's prayer. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those He called His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. 
I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he who is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. Oh, that we would have it. That we would pray daily for it. Oh, I pray that we would never think that we have arrived with it, but that we would diligently seek him daily for wisdom and understanding. And that we would pray it for others. All God I mean, God's powerful, all-powerful. Everything now is under the authority of Christ. Whom shall you fear? What are you fearing? What are you intimidated by? What are you believing that's not true, that's affecting you? You need to stand up every day in confidence, not of your own, but in all that Christ has accomplished. When you hear this prayer, when you read this prayer, do you believe? How you believe shapes how you live. Do we truly believe in Him? Everything is under His authority. Are you walking in that confidence daily? I mean, seriously, it's the most craziest thing to think that people are sitting in church, they're hearing the Word of God preached, they are among community of believers, they talk about Jesus, and yet they don't even know Him. They don't even know Him. And yet, like I told you, the saddest thing is not that you're deceiving others, but that you deceived yourself. That, <clears throat> that you have this false sense of freedom and you're really not free. You have no spiritual wisdom or understanding. And you doubt Him more than you believe in Him. And that is not to be the continual mark of a Christian life. Now, will you not have seasons of doubt? Yes. Will you not have seasons of this and that? Yes. But that should not be the consistency of your life. When it's the consistency of your life, something's wrong. Because you do not see that in Scripture. In fact, in Scripture, you're constantly reminded to grow up to mature. Don't fall away. Christ has already accomplished everything. It's not that you're adding to anything that he has done. He's already accomplished it. So walk in the assurance of what our God has accomplished. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
to declare the goodness of our God. That is your purpose. That is the church's purpose. To go forth and declare the goodness of our God, the love of God, to serve others as we're serving Christ. Christ should be our all in all. There's no just a little here and a little. No, it's everything. He's everything to us. At least he should be. It's not one foot in today, one foot out tomorrow. Living straddled between the kingdom of God and the things of this world. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is one of victory because everything is submitted to Christ's authority. Oh, that we can rejoice. So I would encourage us to go and pray this prayer, to write it out before yourself. (laughs) Pray it. Pray it over others. Be encouraged by the word of God. Go to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. He writes, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If anyone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word would word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Listen to the Word of God. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. If you do sin, look to Jesus. Do not make it about yourself. And I've always told you, we play that weird game. And we pull away from God. We pull away from fellowship. 
We make it all about us. We make it all about, you know, how uh, a distorted view of God. We make it all about now a distorted view of fellowship with the church. And we make it all about us. And we draw away from the very one who is the only one that can forgive us and save us. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ. That's good news, you all. As a, as a, as a believer, we're not burdened. Like, oh, that'd be good, that'd be good, that'd be good. <laughs> That's not how you're to live. Your good works is all because of what Christ has already accomplished. It's not about you, as the scripture we read before, it's not about you trying to be good. If you sin, remember the advocate, the one who is pleading on your behalf before God. He's the one who made I mean, who laid his life down. Romans 5, 1 says, Now therefore we're at peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you don't just excuse your sin. No, you see and you grieve over it. And you turn to him. And be saved. Be healed. Be delivered. Be free. This is the hope that we have. And that's why, don't you see the enemy? Can't you understand his schemes and and his lies, how he's lying and deceiving people who who, who have been in the church, who, who have confessed Christ, and yet they're enslaved to sin, and they're remaining a slave to sin because they're not remembering Jesus Christ, their advocate before the Father. They're just listening to lies. Turning further and further away from God. Further and further away from fellowship. And they're making it all about them. Living a tormented existence. And will be tormented for eternity. How sad. How sad. To have the knowledge of God, but do not know God. Those who truly know Him love Him. And when you truly know Him, you truly love Him. When you sin, you feel the weight of it. Oh God, I'm sorry. You don't stay in it. You don't keep playing around with it. No, you grieve over it. And you turn to the one who can heal you. We can be sure, it says, that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in truth. 
no matter how they try to pretend, no matter how they stand up and pray, no matter how many opportunities they get to share the good news of Jesus, no matter what, it doesn't matter because they're a liar. And the truth isn't in them. How sad. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. He's begun this working us, conforming us to the image of Christ, not becoming Christ, not becoming a little God, but conforming us to the image of Christ. That's beautiful, you all. It's beautiful. For those who truly know, understand, And they truly love God. Go to Romans 6. That's where we're ending. To know him is to love him. To love him is to live and walk in freedom. The power of sin is broken. When we have our bold belief and confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead, we are announcing our, our hope and our belief and his, uh, his, his victory that He accomplished what He set out to do. He has defeated sin and death. He has rendered them powerless over the lives of those who believe and confess. Listen to the word of God. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Just don't rush through this scripture. Sit in it. Meditate upon it. He who has ears, let him hear. Again, we're living in the day and age where the gospel is being perverted at at an all-time rate like it's never been before. And it's only going to continue. We are warned about the false prophets coming in, the false teachers coming in to the church to pervert God's truth. You must stand on guard in Christ to push back 
against the powers of darkness. You must be the witness to those around you that there is a way to live in freedom. And it's only through Jesus. This new life. Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Him. We are sure of this. Because Christ was raised from the dead and He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over Him. When He died, He died once to break the power of sin. But now that He lives, He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Jesus. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. I wanted you to hear that again. Daily, as you're living, as you're going through life, Reckon yourself dead. Sin is not to be your master. You are alive now through Christ Jesus. Alive to God. Not to yourself. But alive to God through Christ Jesus. He's made the way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's no other way. Jesus you are. And the world hates him. Because the ruler of this world, Satan, blinds the eyes, deafens the ears, hardens the heart. God help us. God help us, you all. Jesus has overcome. He has stripped the enemy of his power. He has stripped sin of its power. He has stripped death of its power. We are without excuse. We are without excuse. The Bible says he's done everything and he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. He's done it. It is finished. What he has purposed, he has accomplished. And oh, we ought to be rejoicing in it. Verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give into sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil 
to serve sin. You're either serving sin or you're serving Christ. What choices are you making? What thoughts are you believing? Because as you think, so you go. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. It's the most craziest thing, and I've said it before. It's the most craziest thing to to tell others about Jesus. To tell them to come to church. oh, Oh, they should, you know, live for Jesus. But they see no new life in you. And it reminds me of of when Jesus told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you travel far to win converts. But you make them twice as much as the son of hell as you are. How crazy. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just give thought to it. Like, it's crazy. You know, if you think of your old life, and hopefully you can, you can see that there's been a radical change in your life because of Jesus. He transferred you from darkness, and now that you're in light, and you remember the lies that you believed over here, and how easy it was to believe, and how when you were over here, how you wrestled against, not even wrestled, you fought against God. You didn't believe. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. I'm going to do and live for me and me and me. No, I resist you. And all along, all he has for you is that which is good. But the enemy lies and deceives. And we live in the temporalness of this life. And the sad thing is that the majority of people here especially in the West, are sitting in churches. And they're still resisting God. They're still a slave to sin. They are not submitting their whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is still their master. And how sad. They're living a lie. They're living a lie. But we have the hope, you all, in Christ. To be an instrument used by God, an instrument of righteousness. And it's not going to be easy out there, you all. Because how you live is contrary to what's going on out there. And as they hated him, so they're going to hate you. As they mocked him, they're going to mock you. As they killed him, they could kill you. (laughs) But that is not to provoke fear in you. No, that should just draw, draw you to a greater even level of dependence upon Christ 
to live in and through you. Because you're already dead. Your life is no longer your own. You're not living for yourself. Your purpose and the intent now of your life is to make him known. To know him is to love him. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. It's exhausting to be a sinner. You're working very hard. And the wages in which you're going to receive is death, doom, destruction. You're actually striving for doom, death, and destruction. That's why I've always told you the flesh only knows how to do one thing, and that is to die. Every time you give yourself to it, that is the consequences so you're not to continue to give yourself to sin. For the wages of sin is death. But I love this picture here. But the free gift from God is eternal life. You're not working. You're not striving for eternal life. 
You're not working for your salvation. You're not striving to be good. No. But God's free gift is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ has already accomplished what is needed to be made right with God. And now, that's why your life as a believer is to know Him, is is to love Him. (laughs) Because in that knowledge and in that love, He brings about what He has accomplished. This is the good news, you all. Why you should be out there sharing this. Asking people, why would you choose to continue to strive and to give yourself over to that which is killing you? When God has made a way because of His great love for you, He has sent His Son, Jesus, who has paid the penalty He has endured the wrath. He has stripped sin of its power. He has defeated death and Satan through his resurrection. And now the free gift that God offers you through Jesus is eternal life. You don't have to strive for it. You just believe. And God begins this work in you because now you have a new life. He is faithful to complete what he has begun in you as he's conforming you now to the image of Christ so that the dying world can see the hope of Christ that you cling to. This is the good news, you all. To know him is to love him. You need to be sharing, you all. Just coming here and just showing up and it's just this and that's all. It's nothing. If your life isn't producing, I could stand up and preach and keep preaching and keep preaching and keep preaching, but if your life is not producing, something's wrong. And I told you, I believe God has taken us through a season where he has rooted out. He's cultivating a fresh new soil. And you all need to be laborers in what God is doing. So I pray that you are truly seeking God. In your own life, for this fellowship, for the lives of others, that you're praying in agreement that God would add to our numbers to those who are being saved. We must be about our Father's business because the the enemy's plans, what what he is pouring out is is at the, the highest level it's been and it will continue to rise up. But the good news is that it the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And the church is the bride of Christ. She knows her identity. 
She lives not for the things of this world. She lives not for the pleasures of herself. No, she lives for Christ. Her husband, whom she belongs to, she is preparing for His return. She hasn't forgotten Him. She holds true to Him. She is without spot and blemish. She has a sound mind. And she has hope for her future. This is who we are. If you're a Christian, this is who you are. This is who you've been engrafted into. Christ, y'all. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Lord of lords. To know Him is to love Him. I'm going to close us with this song and then I'll close us in prayer.